Hello and welcome to Panorama. My name is Sarah Robertson and today we are speaking with Ashley Kramer and Kirsten Levitt from the Stone Soup Cafe. They are co-directors for this nonprofit that has been doing a huge amount of work in Franklin County, feeding people and working on partnerships to strengthen our food systems and really committing to social justice in the area. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. So good to be here. Of course. I want to start our conversation just talking about the idea of food systems in general. Everything from the health of our soils to the people that produce the food and what we do with our waste afterwards. So I I think I might want to direct the first question towards Kirsten. Um, What role does Stone Soup play in um, sustaining the health of our food system in Franklin County? So we play a multifaceted role, to be perfectly frank with you. Most people would think, oh, the access point for Stone Soup Cafe is that we provide meals to people and therefore we're cooking healthy food. And that is true. We we scratch cook everything. We have a 100% gluten-free facility. We make the vast majority of our food vegan so that all people can approach it. And that might be, as the Jews say, dayenu, enough. But mm-hmm. A lot of our healthy food is donated to us from local farms like Red Fire Farm or Atlas Farm or our wonderful partner Just Roots Farm. So we immediately are reducing food waste by receiving this amazing locally grown, mostly organic produce into our facility. And that is used in a couple of different ways. It's used in the meals itself often. But also, we have a community free store that Ashley runs. So any additional produce goes out and is given to our community for them to be able to utilize at their home or their campsite. So there's one place. And then you would say, well, okay, well, that's great. So now you're saving food and you're serving food or giving away food. But in reality, we also have a partnership with Compost Cooperative. And so all of our food scraps plus all of our packaging can be composted. So we have a partnership with Compost Cooperative. We are customers of theirs. So we take all the food waste and the packaging waste, and it goes back into compost instead of landfill. And that helps build soil. We're touching all these different places in the food system. It's, it's fixing a problem that's like kind of really big and prevalent in our society of just like these broken food systems that are, I don't know, taking advantage of the people who make our food and that just leave so like an exorbitant amount of food waste. Like, I, I want to pose a question to Ashley, too. Like, how are we addressing those problems? Like, how are we recognizing those problems yeah. here and, and addressing them? Absolutely. Well, I think yeah. one of the most radical things you can do for food justice in America is eat locally. One of the things that I love about living in Franklin County and having access to the Connecticut River Valley is that we are so rich in farms and farmland and rivers and these things that support an incredible system of local agricultural providers. Mm-hmm. So supporting these people and purchasing from them instead of purchasing from f- sort of the, the more normalized and unfortunately often more cost-efficient methods that are promoted through large-scale industrial agriculture and farming that uses monoculture to the detriment of 
the ecosystem to the actual planet and the well-being of the soil and the ability that it has to continue to sustain crops into the future. So large-scale industrial farming practices are destructive to people and also the planet. And investing in small-scale local agriculture that is devoted to restorative practices not only produces better food that has a higher density of nutrients, tastes better, causes fewer problems because you're not transporting it from continents to continents and over oceans, and um, so it has a smaller carbon footprint associated with it, keeps your money local. So all of those things are just these incredible wins that I think result in having healthier food systems, but also healthier people, whereby Mm -hmm. the access and accessing of crops that are produced through large-scale farming and monocultural practices, and often just the way that we think about food in the United States and the way that we prioritize that which is cheap, that which is easy, and often those things are already prepared, and those things that are prepared are prepared with high amounts of sodium, high amounts of fat, tons of additives, tons of processing, and these things which feel cheap and accessible in a short-term moment and are often used as solutions to and for people who are financially stressed already because they can't afford to purchase organic carrots. Organic like. carrots, absolutely. It's <laughs> not there's not a lot of equity and equitable access to those high quality foods, which is where Stone Soup, which is where Just Roots and those programs come in that are really looking to make this type of food more accessible and more mainstreamed and democratize mm-hmm. that type of eating so mm-hmm. that it isn't a matter of using short-term solutions to hunger that cause problems like diabetes, mm-hmm. hypertension, heart disease, and obesity, which have huge impacts on the lives of individuals and public health. And I also want to point out that these monoculture, big ag crops, they're artificially cheap. Like yes. They are subsidized by the government. And the thing I appreciate about what Stone Soup and Just Roots are doing is like it's kind of like the shifting of priorities. And I, I actually would appreciate, Ashley, if you could talk a bit about some of the grant funded work that you've been doing, because the tides are shifting. The state is investing in these new systems that we're developing here. So in, in what ways are we kind of like seeing that tide change here in Western Mass? Yes, I think that there is a lot of work being done to make healthy food more accessible and to get it into the hands of people who need it and to change a lot of the culture around food and the relationships that people have to it and the access that they have to it. A lot of the grants that Kirsten and I have been working on this last year emphasize partnerships and collaborations with other organizations like the ones that we were talking about where we understand that we as part of a food system are in connection and relation to all of these other people who play a role and provide services. And I think that our grant funding at the moment feels really essential to our operation as an organization because we identify as a mutual aid organization and all of our programming is provided on a pay-what-you-can basis. Mm. And this creates a mixed income group of guests. Some people can afford to pay full price for their meals. Some people can afford to pay nothing. All of these people are part of our community as guests or as volunteers and having access to grant funding allows us to 
purchase food that we're not able to get as donations from our local farming partners. And it allows us to provide food to people who can't afford to pay for it. And ideally, we are working towards making our programming more sustainable and less supported by grant funds. But I would say collaborations are really at the the center of a lot of the grants that we've been writing. Um, Most recently, one collaboration we're really excited about is with the Franklin County Sheriff's Office for our Stone Soup Culinary Institute. Mm -hmm. And I think Kirsten should talk about the Institute because this was really a dream of hers. And she and I wrote a grant when I first started uh, working at Stone Soup two years ago. And with that funding, the Culinary Institute was created, but it was really a dream that Kirsten (laughs) cooked up. So... Oh, yeah. Mm. Thanks, Ashley. I love uh, you just speak so eloquently and completely about what's happening. I really just appreciate you so much. So the Stone Soup Culinary Institute was a big dream of mine about 10 years ago, sitting at my dining room table with the then board members of Stone Soup Cafe, because that's where we met at my dining room table. And I would cook dinner and we would have long board meetings and we would talk about sustainability and people and and the community needs based on our three tenets of openness, bearing witness, and then loving action. And so I was like, you know, we give people food, but we really need to teach people how to cook. Mm -hmm. And we need to give people skills that they could go out if this is their passion and um, become employed. And I want to create a culinary institute. And that sat for like eight years in this place of I someday, someday, someday. And Ashley and I wrote this amazing grant. We had this synergistic day of frantic writing and we we made it and we got it. And all of a sudden the Culinary Institute was born. So the grant that we wrote basically proposed that we would create a 12-week workforce development program as the baby beginnings of the Stone Soup Culinary Institute. Mm -hmm. To be perfectly honest, I have benevolent world domination in my mind (laughs) about the way in which our model could be replicated. And so Mm -hmm. the Institute for me, I want to have the uh, Johnson and Wales or CIA or Escoffier of Franklin County. And I have grand vision about it. But for right now, a very practical 12-week course where you learn life skills and knife skills, all the soft skills you need to work in a restaurant, whether it's the front of house or back of house, cooking skills that really get you above and beyond what a typical line cook would know, um, field trips to local farms and eateries to understand business models and to talk with local business owners and get entree, internship hours at the cafe and hopefully other restaurants as well this coming cohort, a stipend to so that you can attend school without having to make the tough decision about when you work in, or not, uh, tuition-free. It is a state-funded, a grant-funded mm-hmm. program. And at the end, you not only have a certificate of graduation and some lovely parting gifts from us, which are surprises, so I'm not going to tell you what they are, <laughs> but believe me, it's worth it. And you ha- you walk away with your serve safe kitchen manager and food handler certificates, both of them. Yeah. We've had two cohorts. Each cohort's graduated five students at a time. And the next cohort will be in March of 24, and the applications will open in January of 24. And our collaboration with the Franklin County Sheriff's Office allows us to provide reentry training for people who are coming out of incarceration and using the Culinary Institute as a way to gain a pathway towards a career in food. So the network 
that we were talking about, where Stone Soup is connected to all of these different farms, food businesses, restaurants, students can access that network to find the place in the food system that really resonates with their needs and their talents. And it uses food to nourish beyond nutrients needed by the body. That access to food is a major social determinant of well-being and wealth, Mm -hmm. or or health, excuse me. Um, But there are others, too, that have to do with economic security, that have to do with stable housing, that have to do with feeling like you belong and have a, a social community to be a part of. And one of the things that I really love about Stone Soup is that we are not a feeding program. I, this yeah. is a recorded thing, so I'm putting huge air quotes around feeding <laughs> program because I dislike that language so much. We're not a so soup much. kitchen. Right. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are models that don't have a lot of dignity um, built into them. Um, I think of things that you feed and they are not equals to you. They are in some way less than. And so food is the medium that Stone Soup uses, but the actual work is to build communities that are resilient and to build those on top of food systems that are resilient and to increase access to that food, Mm -hmm. which strengthens that community, but also understanding that food is so much more than just nutrients, that we were having a conversation earlier. We were saying food is is pleasure, mm-hmm. and it is cultural, and we use all sorts of different cuisines at the cafe to celebrate different cultures and to expand people's palates, because in the same way that we were talking about monoculture being destructive to the environment, it's destructive to people, too, because one of the best things around diet is a diversity of diet, in the same way that biodiversity is one of the best things for ecosystems and environments. And so eating a variety of things is really healthy for the body in the same way that having a variety of living organisms together is beneficial for ecosystems. But when we eat together, so much more happens than we take in nutrients. We, we connect with people deeply when we cook alongside them, when we share food with them, when we receive food, when we give food. These are, this is how friendships form in ways that cross all boundaries. Gosh, Ashley, that was so beautiful. Oh, man. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, We are speaking with Ashley Kramer and Kirsten Levitt. They are co-directors of the Stone Soup Cafe. We're talking about food systems. And after this break, I'm going to ask you guys more about your vision for the kind of community you'd like to build around our food systems. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to Panorama, where we are speaking with Kirsten Levitt and Ashley Kramer. They are co-directors of the Stone Soup Cafe. And we were talking about food systems, how to make them more healthy, how to help people. So Kirsten, could you tell me about the, the vision of Stone Soup Cafe? What are you, we trying to accomplish and how did you get started? We just updated our mission statement. It used to be to create a community space where people of all walks of life come together to share nourishment, learning, and connection for body, mind, and spirit. And we really had uh, deep conversations about all walks of life and how that that was a very colonialist way of, of jargonizing humans. So we've updated that mission, right? These long conversations happened at, uh, at board meetings, but were brought forth by a team of people that meet monthly, and they're our inclusion and belonging team. And that team has been looking at ways in which to create inclusive language and to acknowledge 
the issues around colonialism and white supremacist ideologies that exist in, in every day that we often don't necessarily look at. And so people of all walks of life just didn't resonate for us any longer. So mm-hmm. now our mission is to create community space where all are welcome to share nourishment, connection, and learning for body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. And so the vision of the cafe, it's already being enacted in many ways. Um, And pre-pandemic, like we're three plus times the size we were pre-pandemic. And pre-pandemic, we had a meal program that invited guests to sit and dine with one another. And overwhelmingly, our guests continue to want to sit and dine with one another. And and we do the best we can to put out picnic tables and have music all during the warm months. But in the winter, they feel it keenly. They feel the loss of being able to sit together in our old dining room, which is now a huge prep area and packing area for all of the meals. And so there's no room there any longer. So our vision is to, to find a new space. Mm to have that space be large enough to house all of our programs now because we have the Institute, the Culinary Institute. We have our free store program. Um, And what we really want is to be able to have community space where people actually can sit and eat together or we can have workshops or they can come in and shop in a more leisurely manner because the free store operates in the same hour and a half as the meal program. And the free store sees over 100 people every week in an hour and a half. It's, it's quite the feat that Ashley and her team pulls off. And so, and you know, and we're, we're putting out 600 meals in that hour and a half time as well. So it's a very, it, it's a very tight place where we're, we're at in our current location. We are so grateful to have had this location for the last 12 years. But the vision is to move to a new space and to be able to do even more with with community, be more open and inviting for community to come in, to raise all voices and lift all boats, um, and to find ways in which we truly have more understanding of what people's needs are. I mean, we do a, we do a, a pretty good job of asking people what their needs are, of listening deeply when people are online, of receiving feedback. We we have surveys, we have phone check-ins, we have delivery drivers who bring back information, but nothing replaces the actual sitting down across a table and talking with people and then sharing back and yeah. and then really moving forward. When Bernie first approached All Souls Church and I... Who's, who's Bernie? Oh, <laughs> okay, so Bernie Glassman, American Zen master, uh, founder of the Zen Peacemakers, one of the creators of socially engaged Buddhism, which meant that the Buddhist would not look at the wall and seek nothingness, but actually would practice the three tenets. And the first is openness, letting go of our fixed ideas so that we may bear witness to the joy and suffering in the world. And then based on our understanding of that joy and suffering that we've witnessed, move into loving action that heals ourselves and others. Bernie and his student, Jeff Bridges, created the Let All Eat Cafe in Montague. And when it came, he approached us in Greenfield, and we opened our space to him. Um, And the community renamed the cafe the Stone Soup Cafe with my then co-director, Ariel Pliskin, 
I was I was chefing and Ariel was the executive director way back then. Yeah. We built something that was lasting and something that could grow and 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 it has grown. Absolutely. And I think I'll just add, Kirsten was a recent guest on the Western Mass Business Show with uh, Tara Brewster. So if you want to hear some more about how Stone Soup got started and the ethos behind it, um, I really do encourage you to listen to that episode as well. I was sitting here listening to Kirsten and I was just thinking of that moment when you said the community named the cafe. And I moved to Greenfield two years ago. And one of the things that drew me to the cafe was the the sign that said Stone Soup Cafe. Because when I was little, I remember going to my older brother's elementary school performance of that play. So the story of Stone Soup like really was a powerful early encounter that I had as a child with storytelling and with theater. And then one of our wonderful community members and also one of Kirsten's lead chefs at the cafe, Brandon Shanty, who is an instructor at the Culinary Institute, he and I were conducting a cooking workshop at the Franklin County Jailhouse. And in starting out that workshop, it just came out of me where I asked, does anyone know the story of stone soup, which I think is a Hungarian folktale? Or it's, it has, there's lots it, of different... It is a folktale. It, it's a folktale <laughs> and it's shared by many as often folktales are. But the power of that story, the people there hadn't heard it and I told a really short version of it. And, you know, where people come to a town and everyone is hungry and has nothing to share. And so the travelers say they're going to make a magic soup and using only a stone, but they need just a couple of things and everyone finds the little bits that they have in their house. And when they all add it in, it makes this delicious meal that's enough to feed the whole community. And at the, so we told that in the beginning of the the workshop and the room like went silent. And these, these people who were in jail were sitting there like just like children listening to this story. And so like, I, I just think there's something so powerful in that germ around all of us on our own being inadequate to make a solution. But I bring my little carrot and you bring your little onion and you bring that scrap of bone and all of this put together becomes enough, becomes magical. And where there was nothing, there is something. And there's so much power in that. And I love having that as our sort of mm-hmm. mythology. And of course, I am I was singing because Ashley and I, about this time last year, Ashley and I did a, <laughs> a performance at the Shea Theater where we sang the, we sang the Stone Soup song. By Heather Forrest. By yeah. Heather Forrest. And so, you know, and it'll be nutritious, delicious, edible, incredible, but it would be so much better if we only had a. And that is true in every aspect of Stone Soup Cafe. Mm-hmm. But we would be so much better if we had another ingredient. And our and way back, 12 years ago, I came up with every ingredient counts, especially you. And so our work is done by hundreds of people. Yeah. And yes, there are there's a staff and there used to be five and now there's 16 of us, but yet there are 85 volunteers on top of those 16 people every single week. Last year, we saw over 500 unique volunteers. We have many regulars and many people who just love us and many people who drop in because they're visiting from out of town, literally, uh, and they wanted something to do and wanted to connect with community. Many people have moved to Greenfield after volunteering at Stone Soup, so it's a very interesting thing. But what I was going to say was 
I really eschew the, the, the charitable industrial complex and the charitable way of thinking and invite people to think about this as true mutual aid, where everybody is helping everybody. Mm-hmm. And that by shifting our mindset and really looking at the work that we do together helps all. It's not just you doing for someone else. That's what a soup kitchen mindset puts you in. When you come to the cafe, we are helping each other. You are getting something. I think about all of our volunteers, especially our elderly volunteers, who come in. These are senior citizens who religiously come every week that just love to be together. It is their. It is one of their many um, social out, outputs that staves staves away depression and isolation, and you know defeatism, and empowers people to learn and grow and do and be of use. And that's one of the things that our society really we're programmed. As humans, we're programmed to do good. It feels good when we're doing something that we know is valued and validated. And so when you come to Stone Soup, you get that. You, you, get, you, get, you get taught and you get validated and, you, and your successes are celebrated and your shortfalls are supported so that you feel successful and you get social interaction. And, um, and especially on Saturday, you get a really good meal after, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. right? So it's just, it, it, for me, it feels like a mutual aid is where everybody wins. Everybody wins on every level. And um, charity is when those, those people over there get something, but we're not part of those people. And that's the big lie, right? Mm-hmm. There is no us in them. There is only us. And I will say that until the day I expire. Mm-hmm. Like over and over again, there is no us in them. There is only us. And the minute we start othering people and marginalizing people and thinking that we're above people, we denigrate ourselves, not them, us. We're all in this together in every aspect, whether it's the food system or social activism or social justice or community-minded behaviors. Mutual aid covers all of that. Yeah, And I think also back to those Buddhist tenets that you mentioned earlier built into the final one about loving action is mutual aid, where it's acknowledged that loving action heals others, but also the self. And I think the fact that we have 522 people who come to volunteer on their weekends shows the hunger that people have to be of service to one another, to participate in something that they believe is something good. And that is greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's healing yeah. in multiple ways, whether it's the food systems, whether it's the people who rest upon the top of the food systems. I, that's one of the things I hear a lot as a person who manages a program that's staffed by volunteers is that, oh, I was, had a really hard week or, oh, I, I was just feeling like I just needed to get out of the house. And then they come to Stone Soup and in that there's this, this rise that happens, this elevation. They're like, and now I'm in this happier place or I feel better. There are a couple of pernicious lies that are challenged by Stone Soup. One of them is rugged individualism, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and back to that, like the teachings of the story of Stone Soup is that in individuals is not the solution, but in the collective work of individuals is the mm-hmm. power. And yeah. I think that we have a lot of enculturation, especially in America, around rugged individualism. And that's challenged by the sort of organization, the mutual aid organization that we are. And then the other part of it that gets challenged is that in order to have enough, you must hoard and keep and hold and stash. And Mm -hmm. that's where richness comes from. But it's paradoxically the opposite, that in giving, we feel the most wealth. And so I think Stone Soup also really shows how good it feels to be generous and not just with food, but generous with your time, with your energy, with your compassion, with whatever you've got. We practice abundance. Thank you for that, Ashley and (laughs) Kirsten. We are talking about Stone Soup Cafe and the food systems that it supports in the kind of community that we are building around this mutual aid network. And right after this break, I'm going to ask more about this abundance and how we are even growing. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to Panorama. We are speaking with Kirsten Levitt and Ashley Kramer, the co-directors of Stone Soup Cafe. And so far in this conversation, we've spent a lot of time talking about these beautiful ideas of community and supporting our food systems and what we can really accomplish by working together. But what does it take? Let's talk numbers for a second. How many meals do you serve a week at Stone Soup Cafe? So at its height... We were serving over 700, and that was just earlier this year when we had an influx of beautiful immigrant refugee families come and start living in Greenfield. Currently, we do about 600 meals, which is still quite a bit because back in the day, we would be open for two hours and maybe somewhere between 100 and 125 people would come through our doors. We've always offered seconds or to go. So we did between 175 and 200-ish meals on a very busy day. But the reality of the situation is, is that we now do at least three times that. And we have three times the staff and three times the programming. And we've done the calculation based on last year's expenses and how many meals we did. So we did 30,000 meals last year, and it cost about $450,000 to do that. So it's $15 a meal. The average donation, including online generous people and and people giving anonymously at our donation box, it's about 95 cents a meal. So we are looking to subsidize quite a bit. And when I give you that meal cost, I'm talking per plate cost, including all the staffing, the utilities, the food stuffs, all the packaging, all of those things are rolled into that. We see the free store when it started, it saw about 25, 30 people a week. And now we see between 100 and 110 families in that hour and a half. And it costs easily 2000 to $2,500 a week to just run that program. And we supplement food in that program by going to Deals and Steals Warehouse and having buying power there where we find items that are not available elsewhere in other places where we can get food that is supplemented by the government. So we go out and we spend an additional amount of money every week. So people have ready-to-eat food, and they have organic food, and they have different things like condiments or snacks that will round out their 
shopping experience at the cafe. And of course, we didn't have the Culinary Institute. And so just before the pandemic, the board voted on a budget of $125,000. And we're looking at growing our model and being more and more sustainable. And so we've kind of written a very conservative yet realistic budget this year of uh, $1.125 million. Wow. Um, and there, it is no small work for Ashley and myself to be doing the fundraising around that, grant writing around that. There's no grant that's going to cover the whole thing. And yet we know that while we practice abundance and we're always like, we'll make it work, we'll make it work, even if we have to cut down on something or reduce staff hours or whatever we have to do to ensure that we continue to provide for our community. At the same time, we stay up nights worrying about where is the funding going to come from and how does the current economic climate impact um, philanthropy and giving and in what ways can our community, who we have surveyed and we know that 90% of our guests um, live below the federal poverty line, and so many of them can't pay. So then who who can pay it forward yeah. and who can be generous? And how do you build these relationships to understand that when we take care of each other, all boats will rise? Um, and so there's there's all of that. So and you know and yeah, we can talk about how great it is all day long because it is, and it's actually what sustains me. And I'm sure Ashley will say the same um, in being able to continue to do this work. Like our our absolute belief and our temerity in trusting our community and trusting the process of abundance yeah. and and of goodwill. Um, but it also makes us extremely vulnerable. Yeah, I'm, and I'm curious, what actually are your funding sources? Like, how how do we keep going? What's the breakdown like? Right now, I think that we are about 50% funded by grants, and those mm -hmm. are mostly state grants, private foundations, but also some businesses. And we have a lot of private donations that come through people who are regular donors mm -hmm. and pay for... We have We have different fundraising campaigns that are sort of ongoing throughout the year, like pay for a neighbor. But then we also have a pay what you can place where people do go online to make their donations there. And so right now, half of our budget comes from grants, and the other half is coming from private donations. Right. And that's um, based on this year's just under $800,000 budget. But mm -hmm. we've seen we've seen the numbers increase. Like so in in 2022, we did 30,000 meals. In 2023, when the year is over, I'm sure we're going to be probably at 33 or 35,000 meals because it increased. And I see the trend continuing. We have witnessed what other programs have witnessed as well as that the food prices and the inflation of food prices during 2022 increased at a rate that was very difficult for people to keep up with. And while that increase in inflation was happening at fairly unprecedented rate, the twilighting or sunsetting, which I think is a very romantic term for something that's kind of harsh yeah. of mm -hmm. COVID era benefits mm -hmm. um, yeah. was taking place. So we were sort of at that intersection where prices were rising and benefits were decreasing and people 
were coming to access the groceries and the meals that they could to be able to use their financial resources that were becoming more scarce elsewhere. Yeah, it's yeah. still happening. On. Like, you know, eggs eggs will never return to the price they were before the inflation hit, mm-hmm. you know, and um, gasoline, while it's less expensive, it's not less expensive to rent a place. It's actually more and more expensive to find a house or a apartment or... And the other impact that we really felt, especially this last summer, is the effects of climate change on farms and oh, the sources of food hugely. production, that there were crop devastations and crop losses across Massachusetts because of flooding and also due to unseasonable frost that happened earlier in the season. And at our harvest supper this year, we were we noticed um, the need to actually step up and pay farmers who for the past, how many years, 17, 19, 19 mm. years have been donating. But this year it was like, no, we need to, mm-hmm. to actually pay farmers for their goods because the abundance or the bounty was not there to donate because mm-hmm. this these disasters were happening. So I think that's also an area that threatens the food system and requires, again, that, that sort of mm-hmm. care and connection and recognition of the fact that food comes from the earth and that when you connect with food, you are connecting with the earth. And I think right. that investing in food, one of the, in talking about these costs when Kirsten and I were crunching down the budget, like how much does it really cost to run the free store? How many people do we really serve? And then divide that total cost by that total number of people. Are we spending too much money on feeding people? And there is a lot it's a loaded of question. woo, isn't it though? And there's a lot of verbiage and marketing and fundraising that happens in the world of aid around, you know, one dollar this provides a meal for. And a meal that costs $1 or 25 cents is not a meal that we would serve at Stone Soup Cafe. It's not a meal that we would choose to eat. It's not a meal we would feed our loved ones or our Mm -hmm. children. And the choice before us at this point feels like you pay your farmers or you pay your doctor. And investing in food and investing in people is a preventative measure that Mm -hmm. has the power to heal environments as well as communities. Yeah, that's hugely important. Like, if you live on cup of noodles. There are consequences. Yeah. There, there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And there's all the, these fallacies about, well, these people are large and they're obese and how can mm-hmm. they be food insecure or poor? Or, and the reality is, is that the quality of the food that people who live in food deserts, which luckily Greenfield doesn't have one, but other surrounding towns do, or people who only live on food obtained through mass production, cheapness of cost, so to speak, they they are ill with these other diseases that are totally preventable. And so I was really blessed. I uh, Last year, I went to the White House Conference on Hunger, Health, and Nutrition, and Cory Booker said, you know, finally, the F is coming back into the FDA, the food, right? And attending that conference was eye-opening because I got to hear what was happening around the nation. The good and the bad, and the ugly, and the beautiful, and the places where there were intersections where problem solving was happening. And I'm really just, I just want to shout out and say again how grateful I am that we live in Western Massachusetts, right? I know we're talking about some things that it's it's reality, and it's hard, and, and it's difficult to make all of this work. And yet, 
In Western Massachusetts, we have amazing state representatives who spearheaded by Joe Comfort and Susanna Whips and Natalie Blay, especially in, in our part of the of Franklin County, who are all on the Massachusetts Food Council, who all are deeply involved in taking care of farms, farmers, and conservation. And then on top of that, we have HIP, right? And most states do not have anything like the Healthy Incentives Program. And if you don't know what the Healthy Incentives Program is, Google it because it will double your vegetables um, if you are receiving SNAP benefits. So that's Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, SNAP. And, you know, and, and then we the have the incentives program, right? right? And then HIP is the healthy incentives program, right? And so there are ways in which if you can get to a place where you can buy vegetables, especially local vegetables, you can use these HIP dollars and Massachusetts has fully funded it. And that comes, it comes right out of our state reps, our state senators, our governor and lieutenant governor, and then Go, go up to the federal level where we have Jim McGovern, who's been an advocate for food and food security, and he brought all his friends together, and I got to see them in one room last year, and it was, like, amazing because people really understand that food insecurity and poor nutrition is a political decision and not an actual human one. Like, we're able to go and get food from Deals and Steals Warehouse because – they're saving food from going in the waste stream, mm -hmm. and they're making it discounted so we can get to it. And then the other thing that's happening at, at the state level, but also fueled by the White House conference, is, you know, ending hunger by 2030. The Biden administration put that out. But there's a whole thing about students, children's food literacy that's in front of the House right now and mm -hmm. had actually had a session yesterday, a listening session yesterday. And so you know, teaching people how to cook from elementary on is really important because nutrition, that part of the curriculum has, has dropped off. Those very real skills of being able to feed yourself and knowing how to cook food and which food to, to choose um, will all be covered by that. Yeah. And it's also one of life's greatest joys, cooking yes. a meal. <laughs> yeah. um, we are speaking with Kirsten Levitt and Ashley Kramer from Stone Soup Cafe. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to Panorama, where we are speaking with Ashley Kramer and Kirsten Levitt. They are the co-directors of the Stone Soup Cafe. And another question I wanted to ask you, Ashley, was what kind of partnerships are in the works with the Stone Soup Cafe and other community partners that really help you with your work? Oh, my goodness. We, we are rich in partners, which is great, and collaborators on multiple ends. So I guess before I even start this, I'm going to apologize for any that I leave off um, because we value and love all of them. Uh, we we partner with, I think we already mentioned that we have many, many different farms that we partner with to source ingredients for meals. Mm -hmm. um, we also have many farms that donate regularly. Just Roots is one of our regular donators, Atlas Farms, um, Old Friends Farms, Red Fire. Red Fire Farm. And we also have partnerships with food businesses like Rise Above Bakery and Greenfield Market and these places, at the end of their business day, they have you know beautiful artisanal breads and high-quality grocery items that they're not going to sell. And we either go and pick up from these places or volunteers drop them off. We partner with gleaning organizations like Rachel's Table 
and they lead student groups and other groups of volunteers to go into places where there are unharvested crops and they gather those crops and bring them to the cafe. There are schools and school groups that we partner with to provide service opportunities for students and people who are interested in coming to volunteer at the cafe and learn about volunteerism. We partner with organizations that offer scholarships to people. Like we have an intern who's going to start working with us from Greenfield Community College who's interested in food systems and wants to be a farmer and to learn about the network that we are a part of. We partner with other service providers um, like the Opioid Task Force and Tapestry and Community Action Pioneer Valley. And I mean, it's just the list goes on and on and on. There are so many people doing incredible work. And the idea is that we are all supporting one another, not in competition with one another and not replicating one another's efforts, but building strategic networks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in this an ecosystem really of right. service providers um, yeah. and we are a part of that and feel very yes. lucky to be a part of that. We avoid our own food waste by um, mm -hmm. packaging up all of our leftovers on Saturday into quart and pint containers with labels on them and we distribute those to Franklin County Community Meals Program who gives those away at their ready-to-eat pop-up market on Tuesdays. So Nothing really, you know, nothing's going to waste and everybody has access. And I love that we have school groups that go from elementary all the way to college and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. And if someone feels inspired by what they've heard you talk about today, how can they get involved in the Stone Soup Cafe? Oh my goodness. So of course, come and volunteer because you really want to be able to be in the environment and have the experience of doing something for the community, with the community. But you can jump in on all kinds of levels. Are you interested in serving on one of our teams, like our inclusion and belonging team, your social activist who wants to start talking about these really interesting social contracts? Come on down. Are you interested in board service? We could use some more board members that have some really good skills around What's it like to create a sustainable, growing organization? Because we've grown precipitously, and it's, there's a lot of work to be done. What's it like to have a little extra in your pocket burning, and you want to donate it? Please do. Come support us. We are eternally grateful, and we send you handwritten letters. People love the fact that we kill it that way. We <laughs> thank you. And you can do that. You can donate by sending checks to us or going online. By the way, if you really want to see all of the data that we've talked about, we just created our first ever annual report. It has all of our work from 2022 as well as all of our 2023 financials, and it is on our website, which is www.thestonesoupcafe.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Ashley and Kirsten, um, the work you guys do is so important to this community. And um, you're listening to Panorama on WHMP 101.5. I'm Sarah Robertson. Thank you for Thank listening. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Yeah.